I love uh, Fred Rogers. Growing up as a kid, watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Uh, anybody, you remember your kids or your grandkids or you grew up, you know, watching that TV show? You're probably thinking, like, now Gen Z, like, young people, they don't have any clue what that is. You're wrong. How many young people you know what Mr. Rogers is? It's, like, super hip right now. I didn't know this. It's, like, made a comeback. Uh, it, they've made movies about it. And you're probably at least somewhat familiar with the cultural phenomenon known as Mr. Rogers. What you may not know is that Fred Rogers was actually a licensed Presbyterian minister. And his whole concept of won't you be my neighbor, of loving people right where they're at well, came because of his faith in Jesus. And over the course of our next five weeks together, which by the way, who has a separate pair of shoes to wear in the house? Did you wonder that? Like, uh, I see hands raising. Now you're like, your house is unclean, Josh. I, I look at Mr. Rogers' life, and I often feel like, man, I could never be that kind. I could never be the way that he is. And the truth is, he is that way because he genuinely loved the Lord. And as he loved the Lord, the outpouring of that was his calling to minister to children right where they were at. And it will go on to be a cultural phenomenon, all because he lived out of what we're going to read here in Luke chapter 10. Will you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10? As you're turning there, if you're new with us, we want to welcome you. It's your first weekend with us. We believe God is doing something really special in our lifetime. We believe that God is still living and active and ministering. And it's been crazy. Like, we ran out of chairs the last service again, you know, talking about a beautiful day in the neighborhood. That was not today. That <laughs> Right? That must have been in Florida or something because it wasn't here. And all of you came out to worship the Lord, and I believe that's not normal in our culture today. And what we're going to talk about and what we're going to do is just study Scripture together. And if you are new to Christianity, you're atheist or agnostic, welcome. We started this church for you. We genuinely believe nobody's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus, that the church today should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And so we're just going to study Luke chapter 10 together and ask the Lord to speak to us uh, during our time. In fact, will you put your hands together and welcome those who are attending live online right now. Glad that you all are here. Hope you connect with God. You can share this on Facebook Live or uh, you can go to mercyroad.tv and share it on your social media of choice. In fact, if you're here in the room, you could turn it on on your phone, turn the volume off. You could share it right now. You never know a life that you may impact because of that simple act. But Fred Rogers, because of his faith, impacted an entire generation and is still impacting people today. And over the next five weeks, as we look at this uh, concept of won't you be my neighbor, won't you live out and neighbor well to those around you, we want to reclaim and reinstill some of the reasons and the theology of how and why we started this church, to ministering to people right where they're at, no matter their background. And the question I want to ask you, it's really simple. What if you and I, all the things we're supposed to do as Christians, what if you and I just focused on loving our neighbor well? What would that look like? How would your weekly life change? How would your life change at home or with your roommates? What, what would be different? We're going to look at Luke chapter 10 and ask God to answer that question for us. So you ready to study God's word together, church? Come on. It, it says this in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse uh, 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test 
Jesus. Now, let me give you a little background here. Luke chapter 9, some things dramatically change. Jesus says that uh, you should deny yourself, have the humility to deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow him. And it says in Luke chapter 9 that he turns his face towards Jerusalem. It's when his ministry goes from just the teaching ministry to one of action. He'll eventually end up in Jerusalem knowing that he's going to be crucified. He will raise on the third day, overcoming death, and fulfill his calling that he had had uh, since the beginning. But what happens in Luke chapter 10 right after that is he starts paving the way for what, are, what is most important about her faith. And this one person stands up and the expert in the law stood to test Jesus' teacher or rabbi. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, a little interesting thing here in the text that's juxtaposed that you may not pick up is that it was common in that day for a rabbi to teach the learners or the Methetus disciples. And so in this case, when someone stood up, it was because they wanted to learn from the teacher. But instead of looking to learn from the teacher, this person is actually challenging the teacher. And as we get into some culturally significant issues this morning, we're going to get real. I hope you're ready for that. <laughs> A little different start to this morning. I'm not, in fact, Mr. Rogers, although I'm dressed like him today. We are going to ask God to speak to some cultural issues going on around us, and particularly how we as Christians can live out our faith in those avenues. And I want to encourage you that if we enter into that conversation, as this young person did, by challenging the teacher rather than listening, it will probably, uh, we probably won't really hear from the Lord. And I'm not, I'm not the teacher Jesus is. Can we listen to the Lord and what he might have to say to us and what's going on in the world around us? Verse 26, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? I always love Jesus. He always uh, you know, responds to a question with a question. <laughs> Aren't you just like, you are a God incarnate. You have all the right answers. Just tell me. But he has this habit of not producing consumers, but people who could hear from their heavenly father on their own. We're just saying about running to our father to hear from our Heavenly Father. And so he responds here, verse 27, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and uh, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Both of these come from the Old Testament, from the Ten Commandments. That first one is, they would refer to as the Shema. It was like the most important, everybody knew the Shema in Jewish culture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and being. But then the second one is, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. See, the big idea I want to share with you is that you can't love the Lord. You can't love Jesus without loving your neighbor. It's impossible because if you love the Lord, the outflowing of that will be loving your neighbor. And I think Fred Rogers is the perfect example of how a Christian had a particular calling Love the Lord enough to allow him to work in and through them to love his neighbor well. That's what I want to discuss together. Will you pray with me? God, uh, we just pause in the busyness of our week and we acknowledge your presence here. God, we've come in from different spiritual backgrounds, different political views, different worldviews. But God, we pray that you would speak to us right where we're at. Take away my words, God. Replace it with whatever you want to share to us in Scripture, Lord, for all ages, all backgrounds. We love you, Jesus. We give you this time. And all God's family said, amen. Amen.
How many of you just loved junior high? Like, yes, okay, great. Will, one person, that's fantastic. There was one at the last service. Uh, Will, junior high for me was horrible. It was horrible. If you're a middle school student here or watching this online and middle school is kind of rough, and you're like, man, I can't believe everybody loves it. It's just really hard for me. I don't know why I don't. Most middle school students, with the exception of Will, apparently, are all right there with you. It's just a hard season of life, right? Like your biology is changing. You have all these emotions, and you get real volatile. And here's what happened to me at that age. Uh, first of all, I was a late bloomer. Not fun when you're in junior high, even though I was a little bit older. Secondly, uh, I actually um, was diagnosed with OCD when I was in middle school. Uh, if you're like, what is that? That's obsessive compulsive disorder, which essentially means I did weird things that I didn't know why. And my friends, the therapist is down here. Thank you, Mary, for laughing at my expense. It was, I'm just kidding. <laughs> is that right? I, I could say it because I have it. And then like, uh, I would do weird things, and my friends wouldn't know why either, and they would ask me questions like, why are you doing that? It was a really rough time for me in middle school. And uh, thank God for people like Mary because it really helped me during that season of my life. And um, I began to see some of these things that were my struggles as actually unique things about me that God could actually use. And, uh, but during that season, I was in seventh grade, and I grew up in a small town in Indiana where high school basketball was still king back in the day. And I, I remember distinctly being in uh, seventh grade, going to a high school basketball game, and here's culturally how it worked. At the bottom of the bleachers was the student section where the high school students sat because, you know, the power structure was the high school students sat closer to the floor because they were in high school, and the middle school students had less power and significance and were goofier, and so they would all sit in the upper deck of the bleachers. And so I went into the basketball game, and I was uh, walking up the steps, and I saw these high school students, and, you know, when you're in middle school, sometimes your brain does weird things, and I just thought, man, I really want these high school students to think I'm cool, so I'm going to walk with style up the steps, kind of jogged it up a little bit, I'm like, you know what? Next thing I know, wham, face plant right into the wooden bleachers. <laughs> High school students start laughing at me. Middle school students all the way up the top, they saw it, they're laughing too. That's when I knew that my life was over for all of eternity. <laughs> right? When you're in middle school, you just know these things. And this, this thing happened. One of my best friends, his name's Eric Fields. He's one of the first three people that helped to start the church. He actually came up with the name Mercy Road Church. He, he saw me from all the way up top where the middle school students were sitting. And he ran down the bleachers without falling because he was more athletic than me. <laughs> he helped me up and he said, you're having kind of a rough day, aren't you? <laughs> That's the understatement of today. And then he picked me up and he helped me walk up to the top of the bleachers so I didn't have to be alone. Didn't laugh at me, came to meet my needs. I'm pretty positive I wouldn't have done the same for him. And I share that because I always remember that story of loving somebody well. And look, there's two sides to love. There's the grace side and there's the truth side. Biblically speaking, according to John chapter 1, Jesus came to bring both grace and truth. We're going to be highlighting more of the compassionate grace side today. There's definitely a point for truth and challenge uh, in people's lives. But that day, he showed me a lot of grace and compassion and helped me get up there. And I always remember that he was a good neighbor. What would that look like to live out for people around us who are hurting today? 
See, I often remember it like the two greatest commandments, and then I forget in Luke chapter 10 the story Jesus tells right after it. I know the story, but I never connect it to. I don't know about you. And so I want to walk through that story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. Everybody in our culture knows the phrase Good Samaritan. It came from Jesus in Luke chapter 10 of him teaching us how to love well, how to be a good neighbor to people. And the question I want us to ask through three simple points, if you're taking notes, will you and I be a good neighbor? Because State Farm is there. <laughs> Isn't that funny? They have like a whole tagline, a commercial to sell you a product because they're doing something that Jesus challenged us to do. That we as Christians should be the peacemakers, the unifiers, the one caring for people in need. And the first point I want to share with you is this. A good neighbor may not look, think, or act like you. This might be the most important part of what we do together this morning. A good neighbor may not look think or act like you, may have a different political background, may have a different view system, a worldview of how they see the world, different cultural significance in their life. Look what the story that Jesus tells right after this. These are Jesus' words in uh, verse 29, but he wanted to justify himself. This, this young man is challenging him, says, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Right? Like that's the next follow-up question. If you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, well, yeah, that's great, but who's my neighbor? Right? Like, I love some people well, but not everyone. Here's what he says. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. A little geographical context. Uh, Jericho is not to the south. That's not what it means by down. It's actually to the east. Down was because Jerusalem was elevated, and they would ha literally uh, have to go down. He, it continues on, and he says, uh, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to go, be going down the same road, and we saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. These were the good people. The priest offered the sacrifices of worship to the Lord. He was a part of the tribe of Levite. But the Levites, the 12th tribe of Israel, they didn't have physical land. They were in all of the other 11 provinces, and they didn't just uh, participate as priests and offer the sacrifices. They were also the musicians and everything that had to do with the worship and the, the temple of God. And so it says these two godly people walk by, they see the beaten man on the side of the road, and they don't stop, and they just keep going. And they justify their actions. The truth was they were kind of justified according to cleanliness rituals. It would have made them unclean to stop and meet his needs on that particular day. And so I find, I don't know about you, but a lot of times when it comes to showing compassion and loving other people well, neighboring well, we often are justified in the reasons that we don't. Let me give you an example. I can't, I don't want to judge your life, but I know, yeah, I have some good things going on. I'm very busy. I am very busy. I don't have time to stop. Secondly, I've got, you know, three kids. I've got enough to try and raise a healthy adult child <laughs> and become the person they were meant to be. I'm too busy to help out in that time of need for someone that is hurting and broken. We can come with a whole lot of reasons of justifying why we don't stop and meet the needs. But then verse 33, but a Samaritan. See, we read that and we think of like the good Samaritan. He's going to, or she's going to be the good person in this passage. But the truth is, Samaritans were like the socially outcast of their culture. 
The Samaritans were the people who used to be a part of the nation of Israel that were in the northern kingdom, and they had rebelled against God and not trusted him any longer. And then they had had children with pagan people, and then they had completely rejected God in their life. In Jesus' day, they were known as dogs. Literally, that's what they would be referred to as. And it's the Samaritan that's going to do something different. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he what? He took pity on him. Now, we a lot of times filter that through like a negative connotation. But literally, what's hidden behind the meaning of that is he was the one who stopped. He stopped what he was doing. That's the hard part. And he went to the side and listened and met the needs of this man right where he was. He had concern for him. See, it goes on, and we're going to break this down in a moment. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Would have cost him some money. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, more money, and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. He says, hey, uh, first of all, the oil uh, is going to cost me in the pocketbook. It's going to hit my bank account. And then secondly, I'm going to give you some wine, and then I'm going to take you all the way to the inn out of my busy schedule, giving you some of my time, and then I'm going to come pay for you to stay there, and then I'm going to leave, and I'm going to come back, and if there's any other expense, I'm going to pay for that too. He had compassion and met the needs. Verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? I love Jesus. He's always answering a question with the question. And by this point, you know the answer. It's almost sarcastic. Which one of these th- people do you think was the neighbor? And look how the, the expert in the law responded. He replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. We are called to neighbor well, especially to people who may be different than us. There wasn't much more of a cultural divide than between a good Jewish person and a Samaritan in that day. But the Samaritan was one who took time to come, even though they looked, thought, and act differently and meet the needs. Can we love people in our sphere of influence who are different than us? That's the real question I've been asking myself. Because it's really easy to love people who are easy to love for you. Let's get real. Can we get real? What about people who vote wrong? <laughs> right? Don't we have sides to these things if we're being real today? You're either supposed to be against Trump, he's evil, or you're supposed to be really for Trump, he's amazing. Or you're supposed to be, you know, glad that she tore up the speech Pelosi did, or you're supposed to, you know, uh, be mad that she did, one or the other. I want to tell you as I dive into this and we get real for a second, I don't believe it is the role of of the pastor or the church to be the political advocate to make everyone agree and force you to agree what I believe politically. That's not what we're going to be doing. So if you hear that, I I want you to hear that you're hearing wrong uh, because I think a lot of people have got hurt that way. I do think there are systemic things that we must address as followers of Jesus. And there are things that we should care about the dark things going on in our world. And I believe that Jesus exemplifies that we are to be the peacemakers, the voices of reason, the people who have care and concern for one another. And that's both grace and truth, as I described. 
and we are to love people well. That's why we're planting churches, right? Because we believe that each of these churches going out, they're going to minister in a different context. I was downtown uh, at the downtown church last weekend. It was awesome. They're doing a really cool work down there. They are in a different context than we are here. Northwest, same thing. Uh, And by the way, can we just thank uh, Pastor Greg and Pastor Kathy and Pastor Trevor for doing an amazing job last weekend. I heard so many good things. Um, And I love getting more voices heard. And, uh, you know, as, as we look at this today... I really think that we need to remember why we're planting churches in the first place is that we want to meet people right where they're at. And some of those people are going to look different, act different, think different than we do. And we want to tell them the good news of Jesus. And there is definite truth, scripturally speaking, that we must agree upon. But we need to minister to people right where they're at. By the way, you saw the good news about the Northeast uh, location. Like, that's happening quick, guys. Uh, it's going to be opening up as early as Easter. And, in fact, uh, Pastor Darren is going to be preaching there twice a month. And we're still looking for that, that uh, location pastor. But until then, the team is, is I'm going to be very involved over there. And I can't wait to see what God is going to do with it. It's, it's incredible how it's happening so quickly. If you are interested in being a part of that, it's the, the church building that we now own is in downtown uh, Fortville on 18 acres. And uh, I've got a call-out meeting coming up in just two weeks. This is news to everybody, just in two weeks. Go ahead and put that up there. Thank you. Uh, Sunday, February 23rd at 9 a.m. I'll leave that up there for a little while. If you want to write this down, if you live near that location or you're even interested in learning more about it, come out that morning, 9 a.m. at the facility. I can't wait to share with you some of the things that are happening. But we're doing this because we want to meet people right where they're at. And many of you live over in that direction And we want to uh, get you to live on mission to reach people in that context. Number one, they may look, think, or act differently than you. Number two, a good neighbor cares for others. A good neighbor cares for others. Let's look at verse 34 and 35 again. He went to him and bandaged his wound, put oil and wine. He poured oil on him, gave him wine. He then uh, put the man on his own donkey, brought him back to the inn. He paid for him at the inn, was going to come pay in any uh, any additional expenses. He, He didn't just stop and look. He listened, and he responded. He cared enough to do something. I want to note that you know, what's also significant here is what he did not do. He didn't stop and go over here and see the man who was hurting and crying out in pain and go, eh, I'm not sure you're that hurt. That guy toughed it up and walked it off. Why don't you walk it off? He didn't say, well... That's really good, and I, 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 you know, if I was in your shoes, I might feel that way too, but the truth is, like, if you just were more like me, then you would figure out what to do about it, and I'm going to let you uh, figure this out on your own, because part of my challenge to you is for you to grow up, and this is part of the process. <laughs> See, th- there's a difference when we care about somebody, how we respond. If we listen to meet their needs rather than in, to come in and challenge and correct, it's a different response, isn't it? And I, I never understand this. I, I, wanna, I told you we're going to get real, and I told you that you can believe differently politically and all that kind of stuff. But I think we could all agree as followers of Jesus, as I'm going to give two or three different examples of this, and the first one for some of you might be controversial. I don't think it is. Like, racism is bad. Can we agree on that? It's terrible, and it still happens today all around the United States. And some of us, we don't see it as much, but it happens. And, and, 
if we're not familiarizing ourselves with those stories and understanding the perspective of people who have had those experiences, are we really loving our neighbor well? Right? Like, why would we come over to someone who's crying out about the pain that they've endured and simply jump, rather than to listening, to going, "Mm, I'm not so sure that's real. See, guys, I think part of following Jesus is developing the compassion of Christ. I need it. You need it. We all need it. That's a simple example. You may not know it's Black History Month. I'd encourage you, that might be a great opportunity to read a book or two that's maybe from a different point of view than you have experienced, to respond and to think about that. Maybe watch a movie to challenge yourself to think differently. What would that look like to hear the cries of people with racial issues in our culture and to respond? Well, it's not just race, right? Like, there's a lot of examples of this. What would it look like for the people who are really genuinely, like, hurting in their marriages to to, to not just hear them and keep walking on, but to take the time to enter into the difficulties that they're experiencing and help them seek help from the Lord and from qualified people to get them into the significant marriage seminar that we offer quarterly and to begin to minister to people right where they're at. What what does it look like for your neighbor, you know the one that doesn't take their trash cans in and mows their lawn once a month? (laughs) Drives you crazy. What would it look like to just pause, stop, walk over, and rather than correcting and rebuking, just go, hey, can I be of service to you? Why is it that seems crazy to us? It, but it does sometimes, doesn't it? Like, like to meet the needs of the other requires us to think from their perspective. That's why in Luke chapter 9, to deny yourself and pick up your cross daily. That's why it says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, right? And we use acronyms in the Christian world. You may be new to Christianity and not know this, with like joy, Jesus, others, yourself, or the I'm third principle, God first, other second, I'm third. But the reality is if you don't care about that other person, We'll probably never get to the point of meeting their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. By the way, the Samaritan didn't meet the needs of the person on the side of the road because they felt like they were better than them and they needed their help. They just happened to not be hurt and be the one that could offer help in that moment. This goes both ways on all issues in our society. Let me talk about another one for a second. Uh, These are very different issues, but let's talk about addiction in our culture. Our worship leader has done an amazing job to start a nonprofit that is ministering and bringing awareness to the opiate crisis in the state of Indiana and around our country. To help people stop seeing an addict as like something's wrong, you know, they're just getting what they deserve and start responding with compassion for where they're at. You know, um, I, I saw this uh, documentary on uh, Netflix, and it's not one for your kids to watch, but my wife and I watched it. I think it's three or four episodes, and it was called The Pharmacist. It's, it's not a Christian documentary or anything, but it's about a pharmacist in a blue-collar town outside of New Orleans um, in St. Bernard Parish that uh, his son, at 23 years old, died, uh, was murdered, actually, because of a drug deal. And um, it goes through the story of him finding the, the killer, and then how he began to have a heart for young people in the addiction he was seeing around him. And as a pharmacist, he began to see all, I'm going to ruin it for you, so I hope that's okay. Uh, he began to see all these young people coming in for 
uh, opiate prescriptions like Oxycontin that had come out. This is like 2001, like before people really knew about this. And he started asking them questions like, why do you need this really hard uh, drug for pain? You don't look like you're in that much pain. And he began to realize what was going on. And he eventually, this, this one guy, began to work with local law enforcement and federal law enforcement agencies and helps not only stop a pill mill, but eventually even brings a correction throughout the United States in a couple of different areas addressing the opiate crisis. All because he cared. So that when that person fulfilled the prescription, he just go, what's going on here? When, when the Samaritan sees the man and he walks over and he begins to meet the physical needs, he's not trying to course correct him. He's just trying to care for him. What would that look like in our culture today? I, I believe, and I say this often, that there are sleeping giants of the faith in our churches today and in this space this morning that you're being awakened to the reality of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit of God is beginning to minister to you and that you're receiving the grace and forgiveness of Jesus' work on the cross, crucified, him overcoming death itself so that you could live eternally with him, experiencing and inviting the role of the Holy Spirit into your life. And when you begin to do that, there is an outpouring that occurs and people begin to take notice of it. These sleeping giants of the faith in the room that are not only awakening to the reality of Jesus, but his mission and calling to your life. And we have people that have gone from surrendering their life and being baptized to doing ministries in their context and community I thought of Teresa Lee again this morning, someone I got to baptize at her old building, and she's now been for years on staff doing ministry to the homeless in downtown Indianapolis. I think of people in our church who have started outposts initially just because they wanted to love a particular people group well, and then that ministry began to grow, and then they became their own nonprofit, and now they're doing all of these incredible things, and it just started with care and concern for the other. Who's the neighbor in your world right now that you just need to love right where they're at. Allow that to stir you. Because I'm telling you, you're going to get to heaven and you're going to have stories of how you respond to that. And it will either be the story of, oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit of God used me to do this. Or it's going to be, I totally heard that from the Lord, but I was really busy and I didn't have time to stop and I just kept going. We have a choice of how to respond the third and final point that I want to make uh, this morning as we care for others right where they're at is that a good neighbor has mercy on others. A good neighbor has mercy on others. Look what it said there in verses 36 and 37. Which of these three was the neighbor? He responds in verse 37. The one who had mercy on him. The one who had mercy on him was the good neighbor. To be a good neighbor, you have to have mercy and compassion on the other. By the way, that's why we started Outposts. If you're new to our church, oh, we've always seen ourselves as more than just a worship service. I don't know when it started in church history over the last 2,000 years that church meant just coming together in a space like this. Look at the New Testament in the book of Acts. It was also, it included this, but it was community on mission. Meeting the needs, having mercy and compassion for those in their sphere of influence. That's, we've designed our whole church so that we spend a little less money on the weekend stuff so we could give away more resources for our outposts to apply for financial grants so that you could make an impact in commu your community. We believe in the priesthood of all believers that you, there are no professional Christians. 
There are only those who know Jesus, have surrendered their life, received the Spirit of God, and now are being used by him to minister to. So we want to give you the resources you need to do that. If you're interested in starting an outpost, I would encourage you, first go through Rooted. That's happening again right after Easter. If you're new to our church, go through Rooted. If you need additional uh, growth spiritually, we can get you into a one-year discipleship huddle. We have many starting for the first time. If you fill out a Connect card, you can get into a discipleship huddle. We want to help you do that. But if you've done some of that and you want to live on mission in a particular way, you need to email greg at mercyroad.cc. Leave that up there for just a moment. Greg at mercyroad.cc. That's one G on the end. So that you could go, okay, he, he oversees all of our outpost network begin to go, how can I show mercy in the world around me to live on mission the way God designed me to do? I love this last passage. See, the Apostle Paul got this so much. He wrote to the church in Colossae, and he said, here there is no Gentile or Jew, right? He's going to get rid of all these barriers and walls. He's going to build bridges instead. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Leave that up there for just a second. Is there any better verse that describes Fred Rogers? Look at that. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He had this just extreme patience, didn't he? I mean, even when I go back and I watch him as an adult, he talks so slowly. I just, and he kind of invites you in. And he would do this little thing. He'd go like this. <laughs> right? Come on, boys and girls. And he'd come in, and there was this culture of listening and compassion and gentleness that he had. He even listened to the puppets. <laughs> right? What would it look like for us to have mercy and to listen to people and those around us to have compassion and humility. By the way, Paul wrote earlier to the church in Galatia that the fruit of the Spirit are these things. He said it this way, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I find Christians a lot of times think, man, I need more fruits of the Spirit in my life. I'm going to work on being loving or I'm going to work on being patient. And actually, that's not what Paul was saying at all. That's theologically wrong. There are not different fruits of the Spirit you know, it's not like there's an apple tree and an orange tree and bananas and avocado. It was one fruit, and you either had all of it or you didn't. The Holy Spirit, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, it says. When the, the temple curtain was torn in two, God's presence was no longer in the, the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. and now resides in the lives of believers. And, and that when the Holy Spirit is in your life, you will see you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. So the truth is, we all know that that verse like that describes Mr. Rogers. And it wasn't just because he was a good person. It was because the Spirit of God was working in him and through him. Now, I, I did a little research online, so, you know, it must be true. I, I couldn't find anyone of his family or friends that said he was a different person on screen than he was off screen. That's just how he was, because he loved the Lord, and it poured out in his life to those around him. In fact, um, I read this as well. On his deathbed, his wife was uh, talking to him, and he, he asked her this question. He said, am I a sheep? Am I a sheep? That's a weird question. But she knew what he was talking about. The passage where 
Jesus says that one day he's going to return and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep were the people that listened to the voice of the good shepherd. That they heard the Lord, they surrendered their life, and then they followed the voice of the shepherd. The goats were those that didn't. And so they would be eternally separated from God and wouldn't get to live with him forever. And I think we would all go, well, yeah, of course Mr. Rogers is a sheep. He's like the nicest guy the world has ever seen. But the truth is, there's nothing that gets you into heaven except for one thing. You could, even if you're as kind as Mr. Rogers, it doesn't get you into heaven. The only thing that does is surrendering your life to the work of Jesus. His atoning sacrifice on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven and shown grace and compassion when we don't deserve it. His resurrection from the grave that we could overcome death itself and live eternally with God. Now, if you ask me personally, I'm not God, but it looked pretty clear to me that Mr. Rogers had a relationship with Jesus. And the outpouring of the grace and forgiveness and mercy and patience that you saw in his life was because he was listening to the voice of the shepherd. He had been surrendered to him. And as a good sheep, he was following him, whatever he was calling him to. And his calling was to minister to children. Be so kind and compassionate. I could never do that. I hear Mr. Rogers speak, and I'm like, I'm not sure I trust you. You're so kind. But that's how I am. I had a different calling. You have a different calling. What is the Lord asking of you to minister to people who are hurting and broken and lost in our culture? I believe that as we awaken to that reality, you can make a change. And if we are meant to be the peacemakers, could you imagine how people respond? Because people don't live like this in our culture. All you have to do is look yesterday at the basketball game that occurred. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Any Indiana Hoosier fans that saw Bobby Knight return to the court after 20 years of being away, and we can disagree about all the backstory, but no one could deny the emotion that was seen on the television that day. Welling up in tears. I saw a lot of Purdue fans posting online. I didn't even know that you guys knew Jesus. (laughs) We have a lot of Purdue fans here, by the way. But because no one could deny the emotion of the healing that was occurring there. And so I would encourage you, the healing that we could bring to a hurting world, it's going to spark emotion in those around us, and they will see the difference that it makes and the compassion that is experienced and the love that is felt. What I'd love to hear, I know it was just an analogy, a story Jesus was telling, but if it was true, I couldn't wait to hear the story that would happen afterwards as this Samaritan got to meet the needs of that man on the side of the road, and they became lifelong friends, and they began to serve the Lord together in their life, and they got to see the story in heaven for all eternity of the compassion that was shown and the difference that it made and the way it changed the culture around them. Because it will, and it does. See, don't tell Jesus how much you love him if you can't love the neighbor around you. Because if you love him, if you're listening to the voice of the shepherd, the response is to follow him, to love your neighbor as he asked of you. And it comes naturally as you fall more and more in love with him. And as we close out our time, I just want to end with this. And I didn't say this at the other services. Maybe for some of you today, You're not the person meeting the needs as I've been describing, but you're the person hurting on the side of the road. And you're in pain. You're suffering emotionally or spiritually or physically. And you need to cry out to the Lord. I want to tell you, on behalf of the leadership of our church, it is our desire, it is our desire 
to love you the way that we read in this passage and to help you with whatever you're facing in your life today. But it takes sometimes just making and acknowledging that you're hurting, crying out for help because we want to respond. Will you pray with me? God, first I pray for the many of us in the room who would consider ourselves a Christian, who maybe you've been stirring in our lives that we need to forgive somebody today. Or maybe we need to have compassion on someone rather than jumping to correcting. May we respond with the humility that you set for us, Jesus, the the humility that we saw in the life of Fred Rogers. If that's you here in the room, pray this with me. God, today, I want to begin the process of forgiveness. I want to minister and be used by you to this people that are hurting. I surrender everything in my life to you, Jesus. I know you already. I have salvation, but I want to be used as a vessel for you in this hurting world. I want to have stories for all eternity of how you use my time, my talents, my treasures to meet the needs of others. And then for those in the room that maybe feel like you're the person on the side of the road and you just want to cry out for help for a moment, will you pray this with me? God, I need you. I'm hurting. And you know that. But today I'm going to tell someone. I'm going to seek help and restoration and reconciliation and healing. So on this day, I surrender everything going on in my life right now to you. Use the believers in this room to help me heal. We love you, Jesus. We give you this morning. We pray this in your name. And all God's family said, amen.